Hey, welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, culture, and beer. Although we don't often use strong language, the content is not intended for young audiences, so listener discretion is advised. If you love the bluegrass music you hear in this intro, please check out Dang It's from Madison, Wisconsin by visiting their website, dang-its.com. Now on to the show. Okay. Welcome everyone to another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History. Special one today. This one is extra special. Uh, This is, of course, uh, your weekly dose of the dairy state. And this one is nice because it's uh, an additional episode uh, in addition to uh, the one that we just released on Sunday as well. So... Uh, I am your host, uh, Eric. And I'm Russ. And uh, today we are talking about all of the rich history of bicycling in the state of Wisconsin. So uh, we have great Wisconsin music from Willie Porter, uh, as well as interviews with James Davies from Bubbler Bikes uh, from Milwaukee, Willie Porter himself, and uh, world-famous cyclist Tom Schuler who uh, also founded Tour of America's Dairyland, a uh, 10-day bike race uh, here in our home state. And they usually pick uh, different homes, you know, little cities around the the state in order to host all those things. So uh, it's an absolutely fantastic event, and we will learn more about that later. Uh, As always, please remember to like, rate, subscribe, review, uh, and share with any friends that you have that might be interested in history, music, beer, or uh, uh, really anything to do with the state of Wisconsin, because we cover a lot of stuff here. So... um, and, and also visit our website, wisconsindrunkenhistory.com, uh, where you can find links to a bunch of stuff, our Tee Public page for our merch, and also uh, uh, to our episodes and uh, to our email address as well. If you hit the contact page, right you're going to get right to us. So uh, this is awesome. So uh, without any further ado, let's just jump right in. This thing is special, and this is all about bicycling in Wisconsin. Tell me about it. So the first documented ride in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, comes to us from a young man named Joshua Town, who uh, in 1869 rode an early cycle design which was called the Velocipede. This was a preliminary to what we now know as a bike, but was a three-wheeled cycle, so more of an adult tricycle. Yeah. It's a, uh, what do you call it, a little tugger. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I don't even know what that means, I but I like it. <laughs> a little tugger. Yeah. Now, Wisconsinites like who uh, always prove themselves innovators came up with an improved design of this feature. And it actually made skis, which uh, for us, what do we got? About eight months of winter here? Uh, yeah, roughly. A little. <laughs> so hop on your I little. I can't tell you exactly how many because uh, it, it varies, but mostly right around seven to eight. <laughs> and it was actually designed and invented by Sylvester Wood. Uh, many of the people who viewed this design as rickety, though, and is actually a rough ride. And it and the original Velocipede became known as the Bone Shaker. Oh, of course. It just rattled if it's your rickety bones. as hell, I mean, it might as well be called the Bone Shaker. And it was actually just due to the preliminary design. There was no shocks, obviously. There's no... It's a really just rigid, it's, a rigid it's a bike design. A, it's, it's, a, it's a pedal and a chain. Yeah. It's nothing, any, a pedal, a chain gear. Yeah, it, that's it. So a new wave of cycles would start to appear by the late 1870s, and they were known as the high wheel designs. And oh maybe one of the most famous we see as in Sparta, Wisconsin, 
where they have a the largest fiberglass bike in the world where you can view the town mascot dubbed Ben Biken. He can be seen in a 32-foot high wheel bike. Yeah. I've I've seen pictures of that. And just a side note as well, Sparta is actually dubbed the bicycling capital of America. And it's a great place for bike enthusiasts. They have a lot of trails and stuff. I just wanted to throw that out there for anyone interested in biking or biking anything. That's crazy. And these bikes, uh, you know, would kind of drown out the market roughly until the 1890s where the large biking boom in uh, the more modern cycle that we know today and it wasn't until 1890s where thousands of adults owned and operated bikes, roughly 15,000 throughout the state in 1890s. It was the bike is the bicycling boom. Wow. So that's in, that's insane. Yeah, it's it's a quick rise, but uh it, it wasn't really so biking was so new that there was no laws, there was no like anything. It was just so new. It's yeah. it's kind of like what we talked about in a JW Carhartt where he rode the first motor vehicle in Racine. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to that? You know, you, there's no new, it's new. You right. can't really do anything. Exactly, yeah. So in Milwaukee, early bicycling history, there were about 11 organizations in the city alone that were uh, pushing for better roads to be able to ride their machines, thus becoming known as the Good Roads Movement. One such group at the forefront of the, which was called the League of American Wheelmen, was one of those who pushed specifically for the Wisconsin division who actually pushed for these roads to be actually maintained. Right, you know. The push went on for years up until 1901, where things took a turn in legislation chapter 308 authorized counties to be able to maintain and construct bike side paths along roads or side streets and could appoint a board of cyclists who would serve as the side path commissioners. The board backed then could charge for the use of these bikes and sidewalks for not less than 50 cents, but more, not more than a dollar. Wow. Cheap, right? Back then. Well, I mean, back I then, guess, I don't know. I don't know if a 50 cents or a dollar is cheap back then. But, I mean, when you're working a dollar a day, I yeah. guess it's kind of pretty pricey, really. But, but also, I mean, hey, uh, it gives you a, a, a designated place to ride uh, safely and uh, and not shake your bones. Exactly. So in Milwaukee was always at the forefront and I'm going to be honest with you. This is kind of where our podcast is going and we're really going to a 10,000 foot view here. And at some point we will go further into depth in each one of these categories, but we have a special for you today. We want to get kind of the start leading into the bike history of Wisconsin. And, And again, like Russ just mentioned, this is really zoomed out. This is not a specific episode. This is just to kind of introduce the thing. Uh, and then we'll do some really, really particular episodes later uh, about main f- uh, figures and, and main manufacturers and things. There's a, there's a ton. So things that also contribute to the boom in Milwaukee specifically were called, there was a publication called The Pneumatic, which was published throughout the 1890s, as well as the worldwide bicycling tour and famous people from the tour like Frank Lentz, who ended up in a Waukesha sparking a statewide interest in cycling. New manufacturers also popped up throughout the state. Even the local restaurants offer specials and discounts to rates to anyone who arrived on the bike. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of like today. If, if somebody were to offer uh, uh, special rates or something like that to somebody who arrived in uh, uh, a completely electric vehicle like uh, Tesla or something like that. Yeah, and actually Trek does, like Trek, in, uh, which is actually in Watertown, Madison area. Waterloo. Waterloo, I is think that is what the it is? actual town. So they actually offer for like their employees that actually ride to work. They offer them at like a special incentive to right. work there, which is really cool. Right. And obviously cars took, 
you know, the top dog of transportation in this area. And bikes were more sidelined and uh, they caused a sudden, sudden drop in popularity in the state. And what was once considered to be a high class mode of transportation was now seen more as a recreation and a child's toy. And uh, Harley also contributed to the early influence of some of the first pedal bikes. Yeah, 1901 through 1906. I mean, I think they were mostly known for their yeah. for their motorcycles, but also they had they had the, the motor to help exactly. Basically. So, and I would just like to point out that the main reason for the development of the motorcycle, as well as many of the other orig- original bikes, allowed their riders riders to pedal. Many of the other ones, like including Harley, yeah. including you know a lot of these other bike motor assist exactly. So you have the motor to help you when you have to go up a steep hill. But you also have that bike pedaling ability to also do it. And you could also start a lot of the engines from doing that. It's like a clutch. Exactly. It's clutched. It's like when you're, yeah, when you push start a a clutch vehicle. Clutch, yeah. And it was not until after World War II that cycles would reemerge again as a major industry in the United States. Amongst Wisconsinites, it would soar. And places like Trek would emerge who, you know, obviously... They could have an episode of their own. They're just a major name. They're huge. Exactly. Yeah. And during this time, almost all of the young kids would travel to school on bikes, as well as basket bikes, which were developed in assisting for deliveries around the states, including the largest commodity of the time, milk. So the milkman would actually deliver on bikes yeah. back in this time in the 50s and 60s. And I think this actually created such a uh, uh, a main movement, uh, as we'll learn later uh, in our interview, but uh, in an interview, I should say. Uh, that they didn't want the milk to curdle, so they that exactly. also uh, you know specified this whole you know roads thing, better roads. Yeah, and according to the 1942 statistic, there was actually 250 thousand bikes that were in use in the state, and actually 150 thousand of them were registered to the state. And back then, there was not a lot of laws, but they were still trying to maintain bikes and registrations, well, which you don't have to do now. I was but. just going to say, I think it's incredible that they had biking registrations uh, where they did keep track of this stuff, where they really took this mode of transportation very seriously. And for those that don't know, the bike trend in the state would continue to grow in the 50s and 60s as the baby boom generation, the, the kids of the parents who came back from World War II, these kids would use bikes for everything, including school, recreation, modes of transportation, deliveries, whatever yeah. they could do to make money, deliveries to newspapers. For sure. It was, it was then in the 1960s and early 70s that the big bike boom would take place for adults of this time generation. This was when the uh, 10-speed bikes would start to appear on the market. And everyone would start doing it on trails throughout Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, obviously we have a lot of trails in our state in, in general. And even during this time period, there was a lot of trails. Yeah. So Wisconsin, it also has always been a large part of the safety of cycling. Um, one of the more famous films was in 1903, actually entitled Bill's Bicycle, filmed in by William Stauber of Baraboo. Many of the county police, you know, after receiving a lot of citations that they had to give to kids, would go back to parents who had to go to court. I took one of these courses. Exactly. Back at, you know, Tibbetts or whatever. So instead of finding the parents, instead they could go out to these like safety courses to have the kids be registered and understand for stoplight, stop and go lights and all these other things that they had to maintain or they would get a ticket. Yeah. And kids at the time obviously didn't know a lot of these main rules because they're just riding to school yeah. or they're just going to see a friend or they're just delivering milk yeah. or delivering newspapers just to make a little extra money. And cities like Two Rivers would be one of the first cities to actually specifically 
introduced the bike lane, which we now use for transportation. It's actually everywhere, and it's easier well, to travel. Except for Two Rivers. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's really in existence up in the Two Rivers, Manitowoc, or, uh, you know... Uh, you know, any of that area up there, but down here in, in Milwaukee and Muskego, Franklin, Ocon- you know, all that stuff, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, and in 1976, a pedestrian bicycle safety plan was developed, one of the first and only in the States of its, at this time. And it's continued to develop. Today, we, uh, we have so many trails in our state, along with the share of the road laws, which we actually developed yes. in our state. So you have to share the road with a bicycle and they're supposed to maintain stop and go lights and everything. And actually just as understand. we are. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And the popularity of bikes has obviously continued to rise in our state. Where in the recent survey, 49% of the residents in our state bike regularly, which makes biking one of the most popular recreational, recreational activities in huge. our state. It's huge. huge. With some of the reg- rougher trails and the more off-road trails today, the fat tire biking is actually taking a huge foothold. Well, win- winter winter bikers who still use that as their main method of transportation in the winter, uh, as well as, uh, like you mentioned, the more rough terrain type biking uh, is fat tire. Exactly. And Wisconsin has always maintained manufacturers in the state. And uh, obviously, we're going we're going our time. This is before the turn of the century. Like the turn of the century. There's been a lot. Right, right. This but is these are the ones that we know and today. today. And we don't want to just go in a track, but we also want to talk about Fixation, Badger Bikes, Milwaukee Bicycle Company, Schlick Bikes, Stray Cat, Waterford Precision, Wyatt. And these are just to name a few. There's a ton. There's in our a state. lot, yeah. Huge number. And if you want to learn more about cycling history in our state... As this is just a brief overview, we're going 10,000 foot here because this is just a special we're putting out, and we're going to go deeper into the, a lot of these topics a lot and them, a lot of yeah. these companies. In our second year, because as of this episode, uh, we are we have surpassed our one-year one year anniversary, so uh, we will definitely do a whole lot of this stuff oh, yes. in year two. And Wisconsin Historical Society specifically does offer a cycling history called Shifting Gears, which is one of their main things. And they actually did feature a large uh, presentation. It was a few years ago, but there's a lot of information still out there about cycling right. in Wisconsin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we obviously, like we said before, we want to dive deeper into a lot of these individual topics, but we wanted to go from a 10,000 foot view here to kind of get you a special well, into what we're hoping to branch out to in future episodes. And, and before we jump out of the, this main segment here of, of telling you the history of uh, bicycling in the state of Wisconsin, Russ, I wanted to ask you, what was your first bike that you remember? Tell me your that bike that so, changed your life because I know in my life, the minute that I was able to ride a bike and it was big enough for me to do something on, uh, and, and I was trustworthy enough at that age, uh, it, it completely changed and overhauled this, this world. What was yours? So for me, I started off obviously from a lower middle-class family. It was a Huffy. It was a piece of junk Huffy. Um, it started to get me to go to my friend's house. Um, later, as I grew longer legs and grew taller, as I am now six foot tall, my parents had Trek, an early Trek, late 80s Trek bike, which is a road bike, which okay. is a 10 speed. Yeah. And uh, I used Skinny to travel. tires. Yeah. I used to go everywhere on that thing. And it was yeah. fast. And yeah. it wasn't like the carbon fiber, but it was still lightweight aluminum. And you could take that thing and go down this road 25 miles per hour easily. That's insane. You know, it was just nothing to me. Yeah. So what mine, about you? Yeah. So mine was, uh, um, it was also a Huffy, uh, my first bike that I remember. Uh, There's probably other bikes that had training wheels and things like that. But uh, the first one that I remember really doing a lot of uh, 
traveling on was uh, a blaze orange Huffy called like a Mudmaster. Yeah, I remember like the Mudmaster. Yeah. It was a mid-90s bike, yeah. roughly. Early mid-90s bike. And that was the one for me that just, uh, it, it, it really sort of... Uh, it really made the world uh, a different place for me as a, as a kid, as a youth, uh, being able to, um, go to different streets, uh, other than just the one that I was on, you know? Exactly. And like, I remember, like, I remember mongoose was a big thing in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. They, and I they had really Mon- took off. I, ha- I had this awesome bike. It was a mongoose combat. My dad bought for me specifically that got stolen from our porch. And it was like a huge loss to me because I used to take that to all my friends' houses. That was, yeah, that was the, it was the only way I could get around. Yeah. You know, I, and it's just a huge loss to me. Um, and that was like one of the more memorable bikes, that and the Huffy, which was just a red bike. It was super generic. Yeah. It was just, yeah. it just said Huffy were. on it. I don't think Every it even had, had a it. name. Yeah. And then uh, eventually I got tall enough to drive my dad's Huffy, and uh, he had a Raleigh and a Huffy and a Trek bike. And the Trek and the uh, Raleigh were really lightweight aluminum. So Raleigh I is, a, is another, it's another one of those companies. That's and I big. could take those things and go so fast on the road to my friend's house and get there in no time. So yeah. they were like the two memorable bikes I never, for me. I never really rode, you know, the, the, the road bikes that everybody talks about um, and long distance type stuff. I I had uh, from the Huffy, I went right to a, um, you know, I think it was like a 10 or 12 speed or something like that. But only had that really shortly. I did uh, a little bit of uh, bike riding out by the um, uh, Kettle Moraine Trails uh, just outside of Elkhorn near Whitewater. And that was only like a couple of years. But then I started to transition into the BMX world and got uh, like, a, God, what was it? X Games. And then uh, uh, so that was like a really cruddy bike. But then I was like, uh, let's pay some money to get some actual like decent biking. And I got like a GT. Um, oh, that's really cool. And uh, I had a so Moss yeah. bike, which was one of the later on, though. I was yeah. probably like. Maybe in my late teens, Dude, you and I were both skateboarders. Early twenties, I had a bike that was like like a BMX style bike, and uh, obviously I was a skateboarder, so I didn't get huge on the biking. But that mosh bike it was yeah. lightweight; you could pick it up with one finger and balance it on your finger. I kept trying to to get into everything that there was to be into uh, extreme sports wise. So, uh, motorized, not motorized, uh, push or pedal, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, this is uh, this has been. A uh, a thing in Wisconsin that we have all experienced. Huge roots. No matter where you are for biking. Huge roots. Uh, no matter who you are, exactly. So, so that's going to conclude. Yeah, our, we're we're going to we're going to introduce a, a couple of guests here and uh, stay tuned. All right, we are here today with Lindsay Stevens. Uh, you may know her as uh, the founder and executive director of Rock the Green. Uh, and uh, Lindsay, how are you doing today? Hey, doing great. How are you? I am doing well. It's uh, it's been um, a really long week uh, so far this week, but uh, we're making it through. <laughs> hey, right, but you, the sunshine and it's a beautiful day in Wisconsin. It's very true. Yeah, the weather is really shaping up. So, uh, but so as I understand it, uh, you have another event coming out uh, on May thirteenth, uh, where you're going to be uh, doing a, a concert with Willie Porter. Uh, do you want to yeah. go ahead and give me give me a little more info on that? It was Wisconsin uh, guitar rock star. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty neat. We are running a, you know, we're doing, we're still streaming our Rock the Streams um, that we wound up doing 18 shows last year. And you know, out of the 18 
virtual streams, we raised actually $30,000 for that were split between nonprofits in Milwaukee and musicians, which That's is pretty cool. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so this stream on Thursday, May 13th at uh, 7 p.m. Central Time is Willie Porter, and he is performing. Um, not only to raise funds, but also to honor the memory of Rock the Green's longtime friend, Dan Aukifer. That's great. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it's neat. So the, this show is, is really cool because it's filmed at the barn, um, where actually we, we just were with the Earth Day celebration that you guys featured. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Um, and we're raising funds uh, to repair Dan Aukifer's magical music barn. And Dan, uh, not only actually, I should circle back, Willie Porter actually played at Dan's, uh, at this barn for Dan's daughter's wedding. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so there's, there's a really good tie there between them. Yeah, there's a great tie. And Dan, Dan was a longtime friend of, uh, of ours because Dan created a really amazing, sustainable, I should say, clean energy system that uses spin bikes yeah and we have gosh, 12 people on these bikes and with their light power they wind up generating the speed or the the generating the power for the sound and lights to, to power the entire concert and that is such a that is such an incredible thing to see uh if if you if you get a chance to uh to uh, see it in person, it's really really cool. And then and then on in the stream, I think you'll be showing uh, as well individuals pedaling as well, right? Yeah, and uh, you know what? I, I think we missed you. Uh, we need to get you on a bike at one of these shows. I know, I know. <laughs> Russ, Russ, and I could definitely. I mean, I don't want to say that we could do it alone, but I think you give us a, a couple of beers, we could probably stick there in there go, for a there while. There we go. There we go. You'd be, be just fine. Yeah. We keep you hydrated. Well, that's all. I mean, that's uh, I mean, an amazing way to uh, to sort of bring everything full circle. You've got Willie playing. You've got the pedal power uh, actually in in motion, uh, powering all of that, and and in you know in that magical barn. So it's and it's amazing. So Dan, uh, sadly, he tragically passed away just after Thanksgiving, and. Mm-hmm. We're raising funds for the barn because we, we did film a couple Rock the Streams there last summer. And the barn, part of the barn fire because um, there was a structure next door, another barn. Yeah. That that was totally burned actually to the ground. We've got some um, images. It's, it's really sad. Uh, but w- one of the barns burnt down, but it did catch fire to the music barn. And so that was severely damaged. And so the family needs another $10,000 to finish uh, the repair of the, of the barn that you'll see this stream. Yeah. At. Yeah. To, to revive, you know, such a, uh, an awesome, you know, little venue for sure. And so when one other thing we did um, with Dan is this year for our 10th annual Earth Day celebration, we created uh, in honor of Dan's memory uh, the Dan Aquifer Earth Day Rockstar Award. And so awesome. you'll get to see, yeah, you get to see um, this presentation of this award to Angie, uh, Dan's daughter, and Debbie, Dan's wife, at um, the Willie Porter Show. So it's awesome. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really amazing things uh, that, that, 
you know, everybody should tune in for. It's not just, uh, you know, a, a Willie Porter concert, which is, you know, a reason enough, but uh, you get to see right. all these other very, really, really cool moments as well. And it, yeah, it'll be a good time. And it, it is so fun seeing the cyclists um, in action. And so we'll get back to live shows too. And then you'll get to see that in person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'll be able to to do that in person. Yeah, you will. <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll jump on and I'll just jump right in. All right. So again, uh, why don't you throw out the the times uh, again for this event and where they can uh, where they can find it? Oh, good good idea. So we'll be rocking it with Willie Porter on Thursday, May thirteenth, seven p.m. And you can stream it on Rock the Greens Facebook or YouTube channels. Awesome. That sounds like a, a great, great plan. And, uh, of course I'll be tuned in, uh, you know, as I was for uh, earth day stuff too. So, uh, thank you again, Lindsay. Oh, um, good talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure we will, uh, we'll meet up again soon, uh, for something yes. else that we can collaborate with. That's it. We, we are all about collaboration. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Bye. And I hope you have a, a good rest of your day. Thanks, Eric. Take all right. Care. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, so we are here with Willie Porter today, uh, and Russ is actually joining us as well uh, via telephone. Uh, how are you guys both doing today? I'm doing all right. How are I'm you, well. I'm doing well, Russ, doing well. Good to hear you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. again, thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule as well to, to kind of hang out with us uh, today. So, um, My pleasure. And, and as I understand it, you know, obviously I've, I've been uh, uh, listening to your music for quite some time uh, and, and your, your most uh, recent release uh, is, is absolutely stunning. Just like the other, how many other albums do you have? Uh, is this 11 total for you? I think so. Yeah. 11 sounds awesome. right. That, that's incredible. I can't even imagine writing uh-huh. uh, only a handful of songs. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's been a fun journey. Yeah, it's, and that's actually kind of the the question that I wanted to ask you was, uh, I guess you know, when did the journey start? How did you get into music? It really started, you know, kind of organically. My folks were um, really into music growing up, so grew up in a house full of music. But you know, then I had a, a guitar teacher when I guess I was twelve or thirteen, and she was. You know, she was great. She really got me into folk music, you know, Bob Dylan and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And that just, you know, kind of spiraled into where I am now. So, Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, those those types of individuals are, are some of the best uh, musicians, and they've been uh, around and they've kind of stood the test of time. So it's the, it's the good ones that you, that you sort of took notice of right away. So, um, which, you know, proves mm. proves a point in, in, in why your music kind of uh, stands that test of time as well. So, um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I guess, you know, I guess the next question that I have is, um, how did, how did this new album sort of come about? Uh, was it, was it any more difficult recording and, and stuff, uh, during any of this time and, and how are, how are live shows, uh, affected for you these days? The latest thing was really fun to do because I worked with a, a friend named Rick Probst and it was really pretty easy for us to work together and work very fast. So, um, you know, we're kind of, 
at a spot where <clears throat> through doing this for a long time, you realize that, you know, how you record music and how you capture a moment is really like a photographer. You know, you, you could try to make a perfect composition um, of a photograph, but most of the time, the stuff that you catch when things, people are just behaving as they normally do, that's far more interesting. So really, I really take that approach to music production today as much as I can that, you know, there's digital technology that will allow you to fix things and kind of take the humanity completely out of it right. so that you have a very mechanized, perfect sounding music. And I'm just not a fan of that. I like, um, I like hearing the odd mistake in there and I like to hear people going for it. You know, like in a baseball game, if a guy reaches from the warning track for a fly ball, but doesn't get it, you'd still love the effort that they went all the way for it. And yeah. Music's no different for me that way. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great point too. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I, I love the raw and you can just tell music on the radio today is like formulated and they use like the golden chords, they call it. And, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, I love, I love the raw thing where it's just somebody with a guitar singing or, you know, a band singing and it leaves the mistakes in there. I mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't want to go and see a, you know, a perfect show. I want to go and see people going for it. I was, you know, I grew up, went to college and the replacements were, were hitting at that time. And yeah. I remember, um, getting to see them one time and just thinking, you know, at times they're the best band you've ever seen. And the, at times they're the worst in the same show. <laughs> like, exactly. This is really cool, but they're not phoning it in at all. Um, and I think that music of that time really kind of stuck with me. Um, so, I, you know, today making the, I'm working on a new record now. It's all about capturing people having fun. You know, before you know something so well that you're reciting it um, from memory, get it while it's still, you're still searching, you're still reaching a little bit for it because that immediacy, you know, that immediacy and that, that energy comes across in the recording somehow. It's a really intangible thing, but it, I love it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing. I, I always talk about, you know, if, if you can find the music at Goodwill, the band's probably not that good. Like, you're not going to find a Led Zeppelin record or, you know, a really great band on the shelf of Goodwill. You're going to find NSYNC and Backstreet Boys nonstop, but you're never going to find a good yeah. album. Yeah. So they... true. I mean, why is classic rock classic rock? I mean, yeah. why is Led Zeppelin so relevant today? I mean, listen to John Bonham and you hear a human being. You hear this guy who's driving with everything he has and it's just it's unstoppable it's a freight train and so i the same with queen you know i listen to those records and I'm like man oh man with all the production and everything there's still stuff in here where the, the chorus is a little faster than the the verses you know like they might have played to a click track but the drummer sped up a little bit yeah that's what makes it music you know so yeah. I'm a big proponent for that, and, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to looking for those bands that are doing that these days. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite uh, documentaries uh, Dave Grohl put out, and uh, that's one of the largest points of it is that um, the the human factor in music is just as much uh, a part of the instrument and a part of the sound as it is 
you know, and, and so going to tape is, is uh, a little bit lost these days, but, uh, when people decide Mm -hmm. to do it, it, it really does something for the quality of the music. It just sounds so much better. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you know, with uh, with kind of the the we're we're doing a bicycle episode, uh, the bicycling history of uh, Wisconsin, and I know that uh, we are uh, approaching uh, another great uh, Willie Porter show uh, at the barn, and this one is to uh, promote a, a you know not rock the green necessarily, but uh, a little bit different, uh, a more meaningful thing maybe. Uh, and I wanted to kind of get your your insight on it, you know, uh, so that way you can kind of plug uh, what you're going to be doing. Well, yeah, um, you know, we lost so many fantastic people in the last year to COVID, and we lost people, you know, to other illnesses as well. And, and one of the great audio engineers and musical spirits um, of Wisconsin, Dan Alcofer, who worked with so many bands um, through the years and was a musician himself, but as an audio engineer, I worked with him for 30 years. Um, and him and his partner, a music partner, production partner, Dan O'Brien, we worked um, and did lots and lots of shows starting in, the, I guess, the really early 80s. And <clears throat> so Dan passed, unfortunately, Um, due to a heart condition and he and Dan O'Brien came up with a wonderful idea um, several years back to create a system whereby people on bicycles um, power these generators that can then power a rock band's show lights and all the production needed for the show. And they called it the people powered concert series and they were really was kind of in its infancy in the last several years, but it was starting to really catch on and different organizations would hire them. And, you know, you could have teams of riders who would get on and they would raise money for various charities and, and so on while riding these bikes and watching the show. And it's just a wonderful way to involve an audience to a higher degree in the actual music performance, but also, talk about green energy and green solutions and, and how much pe- you know, people can really do it. Yeah. That's um, incredible. Dogs are, dogs like green energy too. Exactly. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. Dogs sorry. Are, dogs are going hard. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely, they're definitely a part of this whole COVID and working from home thing. So, um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have a completely unrealistic, bond with my dog right now it's just like he's like you're home for a year are you kidding me and then you're going to go on the road again exactly yeah yeah um but that's what the show is about it's really about supporting you know and 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 reaching out to dan's family that survives him his incredible wife deb and daughter angie and and extended family um and also a celebration of you know, all that he brought to so many of us. And and that's why, you know, there's a GoFundMe to support this family that's um, a part of this. And Rock the Green was kind enough to come in and sort of support this show and, and give it a push. And so it's a neat confluence of very 
talented and forward-thinking individuals who are trying to support his family based on what he did for so many people. And so I can't say enough good about this guy. He's uh, He's gone way too soon, and, you know, it's just um, it's a tough one. So yeah. we carry on the best we can. Absolutely, and, and I understand that the, the show um, that you'll be putting on is at the barn and is powered yes. uh, by the pedals. Yes, it is, <laughs> which is, is pretty it's pretty cool. And I think that's my first show coming off the bench um, as a solo thing. So everybody's a little rough around the edges, and it's just right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's, as we kind of mentioned before, there's there's a, a beauty sort of in that itself. So, right on. Awesome. And, um, you know, before we let you go today, uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to play uh, one of your songs here in the episode. Uh, and I think that we've settled on Moonbeam. So I kind of wanted to get you to sort of introduce it. If there's, you know, any sort of a story behind it, let us know. And then, um, and then we'll let everybody hear it. Absolutely. This is a tune I wrote with the great L.J. Booth, another Wisconsin songwriter, and I had this guitar groove and the opening lines of this tune, and then he and I got to work and, and turned it into what you're about to hear. The great addition is the Carpe Diem String Quartet, because they, they joined me on a live show in Columbus, Ohio, a number of years ago. This was the first show we ever played together, and we got a wonderful recording of myself with their string quartet. It just puts the song in another zip code, I think. Awesome. This is Moonbeam. I need you a little moonbeam 
All right. And again, that was Willie Porter, Moonbeam. I am absolutely head over heels for that song as well. Uh, it just, it, he's right. It, it really does. It, it's like in a whole nother zip code with all that's going on there. And it's just so lovely. Uh, Russ, why don't you go ahead and introduce our next guest? All right. Today we're here with Tom. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Yeah. So Tom, you're a, a you know, the, the, the tour of America's Dairyland and, and many other things. I mean, uh, can you give us a little rundown of, uh, of sort of, uh, maybe your earliest uh, uh, in, involvings of uh, bikes and, and bike uh, in America, bicycling in America. Sure, sure. Um, and but first, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me on, and and mostly I'm I'm super excited that a couple young guys like you are involved are interested in history, even if it is the drunken history. Exactly. Um, yeah. We have a couple beers, our, and a lot of Wisconsin yeah, yeah, yeah. has a lot of beer revolved around it. So. Yeah. I want to hear that the can pop um, on the show. You guys pop that can, okay? Promise? Yeah, oh yeah, but, um, for yeah, sure. Our marketing director for the Tour of America's Dairyland, Felissa Weber, she's also the executive director of the Wauwatosa Historical Society. And she's young. And I used to be on that board because I'm old and I like <laughs> history like, like you guys do. But all our board members, like most historical societies, are all old. So I encourage all young people to dive into history early because you have more time to learn about it. So, exactly. Um, good on you guys for, for uh, going that direction. So as far as um, cycling in Wisconsin, it has an amazingly rich history. Um, as you guys noted earlier, there's a great book about the early, early history of uh, cycling in Wisconsin. What I can talk about is the last 40 years since I've been involved Um you know, Wisconsin has an abundance. There's there's many factors, but Wisconsin currently and back 60 years ago has an abundance of paved farm roads. When we look at surrounding Midwest states like Michigan, where I grew up, and Indiana and Illinois, downstate that is, and Iowa and Minnesota, they have an abundance of gravel farm roads. And, you know, the reason for that, you guys know the reason why we have paved rural roads everywhere we, for those that grew up in Elkhorn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The uh, the 1901 legislation of the side path commissions, which started here in Wisconsin, actually. And then also the dairy lobby. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wanted to keep the milk from curdling on the way to market because uh. it was one of our major industries. And, you know, the actual timing of that was – you know, and the <clears throat> the prominence of the automobile. I don't know all the details about that, but that is why we are so different than surrounding states here in the Midwest with, that have an abundance of gravel. And we'll talk about that later as it relates to gravel events. We we don't have many gravel events like they do in Minnesota and Iowa and Michigan because we don't have many gravel roads. That's a good <laughs> thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so, so a number one, we have an abundance of great roads. So we've always had a rich cycling culture. The second factor, to my mind, is like a lot of other states, we have we have an immigrant culture. Um, I know we have uh, some Finnish history on the phone right now. Yeah. But mostly we have a lot of Germans. You know, the German background in Wisconsin is extensive, and those immigrant cultures brought with them, no matter when they came, the 
the following of bicycle racing. And so they wanted to get cycling a start, started where they lived. And so they were familiar with it. So whether it was Italians, not so much Irish, but Italians, but mostly Germans in this state, they really, you know, in the early days really got cycling going and kept cycling alive, I think, in the last 40 years to where we are with events like the tour, of, the predecessor to the, there was a predecessor, I'll talk about that, to the Tour of America's Dairyland, but that was run by a guy named Otto Wentz, Otto, very German guy, his his parents immigrated from Germany, and then there were Polish and all these immigrant uh, people that liked cycling from the old country, so they kept it going here. Uh, and then, of course, we can't forget about the industry that is developed here, and it's not just Trek, the largest uh, bicycle company to right. independent dealers in the world, but other many other suppliers to Trek, whether it's Pacific Bicycle, and many many suppliers that um, that that uh, supply to the the bicycling industry. So, you know, we have kind of a a three prong attack as to why I, I think why cycling has continued to be such a big industry here versus you know Indiana. Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. California is bit it's big and so in Colorado too. But um we're Wisconsin. We're we have great cycling, always have. I agree. And even our snowmobiles have bicycle history. Uh, most of the original developments were done from bicycle parts. Yeah, you know, the it was an industrial product that grew out of um, you know, the bicycle was around before the motorcycle and you know the Harley Davidsons were playing around with bikes and they added motors. And that's kind of how that evolves, but it was these industrial giants and literally, you know, you could do the research on how many bicycle companies existed in America um, at the turn of the century. And then, you know, it slowly whittled down to where you had Schwinn through the 40s, 50s as the dominant player. And they maybe didn't uh, take the mountain bike craze or fad as seriously as they, sh- as they should have, where other companies like Trek and Specialized saw that trend early and got their manufacturing process uh, in place and we're able to grow but the what you know what you learn about cycling is um, it doesn't matter what kind of cycling you're doing whether it's road cycling whether it's mountain bike gravel fat bike cyclocross it's all cycling so you know that that's the abundance that we have here and um, you guys had mentioned fat biking earlier that's you know the next iteration and there's going to be another iteration Right. You know, in, in 10 years, I just don't know what it is. Super fat cycling, I think it is. And it's, <laughs> I'm going to lead it because I am super huge. So <laughs> It won't be a long distance thing. It'll just be a short distance to the refrigerator. But we love everything you've done, Tom, uh, for the state. And uh, we wanted to find out a little bit more about the uh, Tour of America's Dairyland. How did you get that started? Yeah. Yeah, so the Tour of America's Dairyland is in its 12th year. We, we are going to race from June 16th to June 27th or 26th. We're not sure about our final day. Sure. It's been a difficult year to get uh, secure our host cities, our partners, who we partner with, you know, 11 different venues. In the, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we did not race last year because of the pandemic. But again, this will be our 12th season, 11th edition. Um, we actually started whatever year that was, 2009, on the heels of another long-running series called Super Week. And that was run by the gentleman I referred to earlier, Otto Wentz. 
and he ran that thing for 30 years before we started a similar series. A little bit in conjunction with him, but a little bit on our own. We had some of the venues like the Great Downer Avenue Bicycle Race and, and the race in Waukesha and the race in Kenosha that continued from his series into our series. So we partner with um, a downtown business district like Wauwatosa or Bayview or Downer Avenue or Shorewood or Janesville and Manitowoc. And we put on a bike race and it really comes what it is. It's sort of, we look at it like a block party for the community with, that happens to have a national caliber bike race with racers from all over the country and usually all over the world. We usually get about a dozen or 15 countries that come and race riders from those countries and about 40, 45 States are represented. So it's an event that people put on their calendar from all over the country as one of the best in the country and met many in most years in the last dozen. It's been the largest bicycle race in the country as it relates to participants as measured by participants. But yeah, we just have some phenomenal partner cities. And again, it's been very tough on them and us to, to see a way, way clear in the pandemic year, but we are racing and the racers are excited from around the country. We're hearing uh, they're very excited. The communities are excited. It's amazing how anxious and ready and eager communities are to get outside and see their friends. And again, we're kind of like a, a lawn party or a block party. That's the atmosphere we want. And we tend to focus in the downtown area. If we came to Elkhorn, we would be right on Main Street. Yeah. You know? And that would be our finish line. And we might weave into the neighborhoods. But generally, these are, you know, approximately one mile courses and they go round and around and around. A question for you guys. Have you been to any of the Tour of America's Dairyland stages, maybe on Downer Avenue or in Bayview? I haven't actually been to any of the stages, no. But uh, uh, when they've come into uh, you know towns or, or uh, areas where I've been, I mean, I definitely take notice. Oh yeah, I um, watch all the time. I mean, like I know when they came through Janesville, they close off a lot of the main streets and yeah. the main drags, and I remember seeing them come through a lot of times. And you know, I lived I lived downtown for a short time in Janesville area, so it was you know some days it'd be like everything was closed down downtown basically. Yeah. And I used to watch the bikes come through, and it was just incredible to see these guys who've been already cranking for days, still going just as strong as they were That's from amazing. the beginning. It's it's amazing to me. Yeah, we're going to be in Janesville. They actually open our series with a Thursday, June 17th, and a Friday, June 18th in Janesville. And we just uh, secured a second course that finishes up um, Court Street, that hill on Court Street, big uphill finish. And the, um, the first day finishes down sort of along the river and that new redeveloped area down on Main Street. But, um, yeah, great partners we have in Janesville. We're going to race two days in Janesville, and then a few days later we'll race a double days in Manitowoc. Oh, yeah, wow. We have some phenomenal venues, phenomenal courses, and that's what the riders really like. We take this – we try to – we have professionals, some of the best professionals in America and abroad, and we try to give all racers of all levels, from beginner to the pros, a professional experience. You know, try to anticipate what they need, and one thing they love is – challenging, interesting courses with lots of corners and uphills and downhills like you can get in Janesville because of the uh, the Rock River, you know, and the hills around that. 
Yeah, I know some of those uh, hills are pretty tough. So I used to go downtown and uh, I would walk because my house was right on Garfield Avenue, which is like right in the down, heart of downtown. And I know how steep some of those hills are. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I got tired like, just looking at them. I know. Some of those guys have to have thighs like the size of a tree oh, trunk. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible <laughs> to go up some of those hills. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So, Tom. Yeah, so that's. Yeah, go ahead. So I know you have a lot of history in biking. Uh, can you give us a little history of yourself and how you got into cycling? And um, I know you have some pretty big titles to your name, so we'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I, I've been, um, I'm basically a lifer in the sport and um, or a, 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 I like to call myself the, the cycling savant, you know, because there aren't many people that have been it, in it and worked in it their whole lives. Um, I started out racing, you know, in a, in a club, one of these ethnically run clubs in Detroit. And it was really the only club in Detroit if you wanted to race. I started, you know, just riding bikes and got hooked up with that club when I was about 15 and started to take it seriously um, at about 18 years old. And, um, you know, just with some a few years of uh, being invited to be on the national team and go on trips, I ended up being on the Olympic team in 1980 in cycling and that was the year you might remember we boycotted in moscow you know guys yep. don't remember yeah that. oh yeah i young. remember that we're too young but but <laughs> i do, do remember, remember yeah you. we're history yeah. buffs too so you know because we were you know we were protesting it was a jimmy carter administration we were protesting the war in afghanistan anyway yeah. we protested and then of course the russians protested by not sending their team to america four years later when the olympics were in los, los angeles. angeles yeah and when we were young cyclists, you know, it's it's kind of like back then being a basketball player um, or a hockey player. Yeah, you can play college hockey, you can play college basketball, but you really want to make it to the NBA or the NHL. Same is true in cycling back then. You can go to the Olympics, you can go to the World Championships as an amateur, but your real goal is to race in Europe as a professional. So that was similar, my goal. So in 1981, the team I was on, which was the 7-Eleven team, started as an amateur team after those Olympics in 80. And after a few years of racing as amateurs in Europe, we turned professional, the whole team turned professional um, in 1985. And we were the first team to the first American team in the tour de France in 1986. So my career as a racer spanned that the whole 10 years of that 7-Eleven team. I started with that team and 10 years later, I retired. Uh, with that team and my last few years I was actually more of a player coach where I was not only racing it's kind of cool you can race alongside your teammates in a lot of cases I had some of the younger teammates with me and we'd go around and we'd we'd race and then we'd analyze the race and then these guys eventually would move up the ranks to become some of our best professionals racing in Europe so it was a very satisfying 10-year span where I raced and then after that, I got into, I started my own company managing teams of racers, professional racers. And we had many, many teams for the next 20 years and started managing events and started developing cycling events like the Tour of America's Dairyland. So along that, during that time, I moved during that, those 10 years with 7-Eleven, when I was a rider manager, I moved to Wisconsin because that 7-Eleven team, that first American team in the Tour de France, was based out of Milwaukee. See, there you go. It's awesome. our cycling roots. Full First circle. American team in the Tour de France was based in Milwaukee because Jim Okowitz, 
whose father, his generation, more, you know, immigrants coming, you know, immigrant background, they knew bike racing. And Jim started this team that I was a part of in 1981 that eventually went to the Tour de France for many years in a row, starting in 1986. So again, Wisconsin roots, I end up here, start my own company doing a similar thing, managing teams of athletes and managing um, events like the Tour of America's Dairyland um, that are have to do with cycling. So yeah, it's been, like I said, cycling's basically been my whole life. People say, what are you going to do when you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks again for your time today, Tom, and uh, we really appreciate it. This was a great. It yeah. was cool to have somebody on here that actually does a huge Wisconsin race, well known throughout the state, to come on the show. And uh, as history buffs, we love everything you've talked about. It's awesome you've been in the Olympics um, again. This is Tom Schuler. Um, yeah, is there a, a, a maybe a place that uh, the the listeners can uh, reach out to to uh, to see what's going on with the Tour of America's Dairyland uh, this year? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, uh, www.touromericasdairyland.com. Awesome. That's perfect. It's straightforward, and I love yeah, it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Tom, and uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. It was huge to have you on for our bike special, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I'm going to head out for a bike ride right now. All awesome. right. Sounds enjoy. perfect. Have a good one. It's a nice day out today, so do it while you can before the snow comes again. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All Thank right, you. Thanks. All right, bye. All right, today we're here with James Davies from uh, Bubbler. James, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about Bubbler? Obviously, we love the name, um, the uh, Wisconsin uh, Water Fountain. Right, So definitely. we love the name. Um, we love what you guys are doing. Um, can you give us a little history about Bubbler in uh, Milwaukee here? Absolutely. So uh, Bubbler is a nonprofit, and it was formed. the nonprofit was formed in 2012, and we installed our first station in 2013 just to see if anyone anyone would ride some bikes. Right, right. And, uh, and, and that station was down at Discovery World, and people did, in fact, uh, ride those bikes. So then in 2014, uh, Bubbler launched with the, the, the cool, as you said, Bubbler, Bubbler name and, uh, and all that, that, that associated uh, water, water imagery to tie it into uh, Milwaukee's history. Our, our uniqueness and and of course those are our fantastic lakes um and bubbler was founded by bruce keys julie main or julie kaufman and barry mainwood yeah i remember i remember when the the ones went in over by discovery world i had a roommate that was working at discovery world at the time um and uh i would i would drive him to work every once in a while and i kind of took notice of uh of this kind of weird looking bike stand that had a bunch of bikes at it. And we were like, what is this? What's going on? It was really cool though. Really unique. Uh, but, a, but a better way of doing things than, uh, than, uh, than I could even have imagined. It's really awesome now. Yeah, absolutely. It is. We have, And so now we have 86 stations uh, across Milwaukee, Wauwatosa and West Al- West Dallas and six just about 600 bikes uh in the system awesome. so yeah we've, we've grown a lot in that time it's it's such a cool concept to to uh, be able to not have your own bike but be able to rent a bike and uh i was going to ask too is it okay if you rented a bike and dropped it off at a different station is that is that acceptable 
that is uh, we that that is preferred you know yeah. we want people to use them uh obviously we we are absolutely fantastic with someone just checking the bike out and doing a loop and and coming back especially uh our discovery world station is right on the lake with some fantastic trails but you know we think that the 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 best use of bubbler is to actually go do something um if you are, I know, I know everything's different this last year, but, uh, <laughs> right. um, if you, if you were, if you were working downtown and you wanted to, to go for lunch at the public market to just quick, quick grab a bubbler and, uh, take that down there and then have lunch and, and ride back. Um, or, uh, a huge, a huge, again, in a normal year, one of our huge user demographics are UWM students. Yeah. And, um, so they, that we've got three stations on, on campus and then three stations near their dorms. And so, uh, they, in, when they're all fully in session, uh, those are obviously used a lot for, for kids, students to get back and forth. I'm, I'm, I'm making myself old kids. Uh, <laughs> those darn kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to get back and forth there. So yeah, absolutely. You can return to any station. We in fact had a, a, a bubbler super user two summers ago, ride can, straight through and hit every single station in the system. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. Was there a participation trophy that was handed out or some sort of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. We did. Uh, Urban Milwaukee actually did a cool little write up on it and uh, awesome. we definitely acknowledged it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's so awesome. cool. Yeah. And like, just so we know too, um, how can we find a little information? Like, is there a website? I know though spelling is a B U B L R. Is yes, there like we a website? Have, yep. Uh, www.bublrbikes.org. Uh, we've got all sorts of information there. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which, um, at, at, you can sign up at our website, which we have creatively named talk around the bubbler. Uh, <laughs> And we've got that's full of great information. We we get that out at least once a month, and then we usually have some intermediate ones with cool, cool stuff we've got going on or other. Actually, we speaking of Lindsay in our last little Earth Week blast, we we linked to uh, some of the stuff that Rock Rock the Green has going on uh, this week. So um, or last week, whatever. When we sent it out, it was current. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing is that. You know, we were we were also. I mean, we when we reached out to Lindsay initially, it was just like, uh, you know, we would love to interview you. We saw that you follow us, and I had been uh, to uh, different Rock the Green festivals and absolutely loved it. And, and initially, was just thinking, I'll interview her and see how she came up with the idea of Rock the Green, and that'll be it. And then it was like, no, I mean, she carried this relationship <laughs> to a whole new level, and it was just incredible. So, um. And then eventually tied us into you as well, which is um, even more fantastic because you see the bubbler name all around Milwaukee and uh, surrounding cities as well. And it was just um, something that, you know, I, I guess I had always kind of wanted to know what it was and, and how it started. And, and, you know, I'm sure others are, are the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most people now know know what, what that we exist. Exactly, but you know might that not necessarily. Exactly, you know that the blue bikes. You see, you've yep. seen them. You know, bubbler. You've heard yeah. of it. But you don't necessarily know the story or the history behind it and and why it exists. And that's what's the better part is is kind of understanding. Hey, you know what? Not everybody has the ability to have a bike or own a bike, but everybody needs that intercity uh, sort of uh, transportation. And and this is a very affordable way of doing it 
And, and also to that point, so we have an access pass um, for pretty much if you, if, if, if someone receives pretty much any sort of state or federal assistance of any, of any sort, they qualify for our access pass. Um, and that's normally then only $8 for an annual pass. Um, and, but this year and last, this summer and last summer, Anthem partnered with us to make that totally free. That's awesome. So if you qualify for the access pass, like if you receive food share or you're a resident of the housing authority, of the city of Milwaukee, or you get Medicaid, yeah. we've got a form on our website. You can sign up. We give you a code. It's a hundred percent free, $0. That's amazing. So, and then, yes. you know, then you have some sort of transportation to the things that you need to get to, you know? Yep, absolutely. And we do have also on that, we've 80% of our stations are co-located with uh, Milwaukee County Transit System bus stops. So we can really be truly part of that like first last mile solution, um, help or, or help sort of expand the number of, of buses you can get to. Uh, so if you, if you, I know, I know some days when I, I usually either bike in or take the bus and, you know, some days I might miss that bus I was planning on taking <laughs> and, uh, and being able to, to get to an, uh, a different bus that can still get me to, get me to work. Right. So right. I don't miss any important meetings, you know? <laughs> no, for um, sure. That, and that's yeah, an incredible so. point too. It's not just, Hey, I need to get to, you know, this appointment. It's, you know, uh, Hey, I just missed this bus and now I need to get to the next one. <laughs> And I can't quite run as fast as I need to. So let's jump <laughs> right. jump on a bubbler. Let's drop it off at a station nearby and let's get on that bus. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, and James, too, uh, I know uh, we've wanted to do a uh, bubbler brewery tour, obviously, and, and a lot of them are around the breweries. I've yeah. seen a few myself. Yes. Um, there, there, there is some some Wisconsin connection with bikes and beer. I don't, I don't quite understand. Yeah. It's it's the bees of Wisconsin, the bikes, bees, yep. bonfires, like backyards. Yep. <laughs> it's all incorporated, and uh, yeah, we you know obviously you, you won't be able to hit too many breweries. You don't want to get a uh, a bike a BUI. Yeah, <laughs> but still considered a DUI though. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> but uh, we 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 are really excited. We love what you're doing, um, and I love Bubbler. I love the idea what you guys came up with, and uh, I hope it's incorporated into more cities. Honestly, yeah, and I hope that. Uh, in the future that, you know, Wisconsin drunken history and rock the green and bubbler and, and all of us can be paired and partnered uh, in something uh, great. Yeah, no, I think, I think we sort of, uh, we're laying the foundation here, I feel so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, it, it certainly is an, an amazing thing. And, and now are you a, a Wisconsin native Yes, I grew up in Racine, so okay. not, I'm not. I'm not. I didn't grow up in Milwaukee, but pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, right, yeah. so, would you be opposed to answering a few questions to uh, discover, you know, just how scanny you are? Let's <laughs> let's let's see what we let's see how I can do. All right, I'll go ahead and get this thing kicked off here. Let me know. Have you ever uh, participated in what we call jump around at Camp Randall Stadium? I, so I, I, I did, so I, my under I went, I did my undergrad at Madison. I actually don't think I went to a game while I was an undergrad. I know that sounds horrible, but during like uh orientation week, they had us go to the campus and do like a practice round. Yeah. So I, I did it then if that counts. Um, I, I'll count it. I mean, that, that's okay. counts as a, uh, as a UW Madison uh, student myself, 
I, I was lucky enough. Like, it was expensive even for students to go to Badger's games, yeah. to be honest yeah, with you. It, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. when, when you're working at Topper's Pizza in a Subway, <laughs> it's not cheap to afford a ticket. Yeah. I want to be well, and to I, I was working at my dorm cafeteria, so, like, I didn't even get tips or anything like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's rugged. So, that's really cool. And, yeah, I do remember something similar to that when we had an orientation in uh, – I remember uh, the one thing I was really bummed about is having to take sociology every single semester. <laughs> and I was like, because I like, you know, if, if you're somebody that struggles with like human interaction, I can understand. But like for me, it was like just such a, a, a loop to jump through every yeah. single semester. Um, but yeah, no, I remember that originally when we first did it, I think there was actually Bucky the Badger was there and they had us go to this orientation where uh, – we participated in a jump around that was simulated. That's so crazy. Like <laughs> yeah. Have, now, uh, driving in Wisconsin, we all uh, have a, a similar sort of uh, obstacle to, uh, and you know, get around is uh, uh, a deer. Have you ever hit a deer while driving? I have not. Okay. Good. One of the fortunate few. There, yeah, it's that's really incredible. Um, there's not very many guests that we've had on here that haven't, so you are one of them, which is awesome, actually. Yeah. So, so the next question we got: Have you ever been to Summerfest, and uh, do you have a memorable band that you've you've seen there? I have been to Summerfest, and here here in fact, uh, so you know how during the day they'll have maybe smaller performances. Yeah, a lot of locals. Uh, yeah, so when I was in middle school, I was in this like summer show band with Racine Unified, and I actually played my clarinet at Summerfest. I think I was at that show. <laughs> oh, I was in the front row and I was rocking out, dude. <laughs> you're you're hitting that hitting that windpipe hard. Yeah, right. Yes, feel, yes. I could feel the air from your clarinet. <laughs> Hitting me? <laughs> that, that's probably you know that that's that's kind of disgusting, but uh, it is. It's not great. <laughs> so, uh, little spittle in there, you know. Exactly. So, it being is. from Milwaukee, have you ever closed Wolskis? I haven't. You have not closed Wolskis. That's okay, though. That's I, honestly, fine. it's it's all right. And uh, especially at this age, now that I have a kid, I don't think I could ever close it again. No. And I have too many grays, so. Uh, it's out of the question for me. So. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Closing wall skis is great, but it's also horrible at the same time. You know? So do you ever make beer brats? And do, is there a beer you use to make uh, your beer brats? Ooh. Um, I, I haven't made beer brats. That's fine. And that's okay, too. That's all right. I mean, a lot do of... Do you enjoy brats? I, I, I do. That's a that's a win right there. You got it. So we're, we're giving that one to you um, just right off the bat. No, I mean, you earned it. I mean, you ate brats. So in my I have opinion. eaten brats. So yeah. what what do you consider to be up north Wisconsin? Oh, this is this is a good one because I, I think I think it's interesting because like doing my undergrad in Madison, like I don't think of Madison as up north, you know. Um, so and, and I think. I think I'm going to have to go with everything north of Green Bay. And that's that's I, acceptable, that's actually. actually. That's pretty... like, yeah, because you're going past Amherst. You're going past Green Bay. You you know, yeah. you, then you're hitting that Wausau, well, which is that, that line. And I would almost and, consider... And, like, I feel you, you have to... Like, Door County has to be included in however you define it, I feel. Yeah. For sure. No, for yeah. sure. So... And, yeah, Door County... Like, I consider Door County kind of up northy. I mean, no, for I me... Do, I do 100%. I mean, we're yeah. from, like, right on the, the Chicago-Illinois border, yeah. unfortunately. But... Yeah. So that's definitely up north for us. Yeah, um, no, I would. I was actually gonna say, 
the 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 last thing that's considered like the most Wisconsin is the Green Bay Packers. Anything true, north of true, that is kind of like, you know, there's not anything super noticeably Wisconsin, you know, nothing that everybody wears a logo of, you know. Um, so <laughs> it's as soon all as you flannel get, and uh, chainsaw. Yeah, as soon so. as you get north of that, it's like, you know, you kind of feel like that's that's where the north is. Exactly. The woods, the north woods, you know. Yeah. And so I got a question for you as a Milwaukee native. Um, is there a brewery or a brewery tour you recommend in the area that you've seen or have been to that you recommend our listeners check out? Right. Because you've been to a, probably at least a couple of them, right? A few, a few. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I do, I do, I have to go, like, Lakefront is, is always fantastic, and they, they also have such great, great beers. Um, but, you know, when, when you when you said that question, the thing came to, that came to my mind immediately was actually a distillery tour. Can I say a distillery tour that of I course. really oh, like? Yeah. Oh, of okay. course. So, so Twisted Path. Uh, and yeah, down there, the distillery tour there is awesome. And the, the, the gentleman who, who owns and operates is a, uh, a former CIA agent who, (laughs) (laughs) so like, that's intense. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, his dad's like a patent attorney and he's like a former CIA agent or something like, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really good uh, interesting uh, tour. So if, if someone's looking for a distillery tour, I don't think they're doing it right now, but uh, when things open back up, that's a great one. Um, but I do, I do love the, and I love the lakefront like building. Obviously they have a bubbler station right there. I love where it's located yeah. though, with that like marsupial bridge thing. Uh, yes. And like, they always have fantastic beers and uh, yeah. So I do, that is a good one. Twisted path. You might get a interrogation at the end, but Hey, yeah, right. part of part of the part, part of the, the whole experience, experience is you're right, drunk yeah. and then you get interrogated. Hey, are you driving home tonight? Getting hey, connected. I don't know. Hopefully not. I'm grabbing a bubbler. Yeah, so, <laughs> we'll be all right. So no, thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it, James. Um, we love everything you're doing, and I hope you keep this up and uh, maybe even expand to further cities because it's such a yeah. Great- well, this this well, it's not to a new city, but the city of Milwaukee actually is installing 26 new stations this summer, awesome. and uh, and and. We're going to be adding some electric assist bikes to the to the system so hell yeah uh exciting exciting things so yeah. hey if there's ever like a ribbon cutting ceremony uh for one of these stations we would love to be involved uh even if it's just to be part of the uh press coverage or something so we'll, we'll definitely oh sure connect. yeah fancy that well because we're gonna have to do something because we're at like 86 stations and we're installing 26 more so we have to do something for the 100th station right we'll be there at the 100th to, to meet <laughs> you right. and to have our microphones ready <laughs> all, right, all right sounds fantastic thank you so much for your time james and uh we sure, love what thank you're doing you. and uh we hope you enjoy the rest of your sunday yeah, thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun. All right, James. Awesome. Thank Have a good you one. so much. All right. You too. Bye. Take Bye. care. All right. That concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, please like and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you prefer. And remember to hit the bell on YouTube to be notified when we release new content. Also, if you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at widrunkenhistory at gmail.com or head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Thanks again for listening, and remember as always, watch watch out for deer deer on your way home. home.